Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sequoia, and this is Diversity Be Life. I'm here with the author of The Black Traveler's Guide to Incheon, South Korea, Phil, a.k.a. The Blurred Explorer. Phil's an expat who's been living in South Korea since 2016. And after not finding many resources geared towards African-Americans when planning his travels, he decided to create his own. So welcome, Phil. Yeah, that pretty much wasn't my case. Yeah. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Now, I'm going to start with this. I looked everywhere for yeah. your last name, and I didn't see a single interview uh, anywhere yeah, yeah, yeah. online that referenced your last name. So is that just your thing? You go by Phil, the Blurred Explorer? Yeah, is that the Blurred Explorer. It's my choice. Yeah, usually I'm kind of like one of those people who, okay. like, who doesn't want to put all my business out there. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. Yeah, yeah. So. That's fine. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, no, it was more like personal private reasons. Even my own Facebook, I don't even put my last name on there anymore. I changed that up to something random. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So I gave a bit of an intro for you in your own words. Tell us about yourself and what you do. Uh, yeah. So as you said, I live in South Korea. I've been here since 2016. I work as an ESL teacher. I work in, I just recently actually moved to a new city in South Korea called Uljin. It's like on the East coast of South Korea. This is like my first time teaching in a public school setting. And I pretty much so far enjoyed it. Like you said earlier, what led me to create this book, my next book, which is going to be on the city of Daegu was a lack of resources for black travelers or black black people who are traveling or interested in traveling because uh yeah it's it's just the fact that when you look around youtube travel blogs travel content creators most of them are usually white people and again there's some good content out there don't get me wrong some great advice and everything but honestly black people have a totally different experience compared to a white person if we go the same travel destination regardless of their height so if you have the same height same muscle length same weight black person is going to get like he different have a different experience than a white person almost always yeah i actually on um episode i want to say it was four mm-hmm. the unwritten rules with our guest kim williams she actually talked a lot about that about how the experiences and just the things that we're interested in tend to be different and so she actually started a travel group for that same reason because she wanted to share with people mm-hmm. what it's like to travel abroad and have that black experience when you travel abroad so definitely. You were born in the States, though. What was your experience like here? Uh, I went from Miss Born, Mississippi, Alabama, then went to Alabama, then Washington State, then back to Alabama, then South Carolina, where I finished up high school and college. So I've been by everywhere. But uh, okay. I, guess, I guess I've always been interested in travel, mostly because of anime, Japanese cartoon animation and stuff. And I always wanted to go to Japan, but I just know how to do it. And I didn't want to go to the military to just travel. Because that's unfortunate for me, at least. Okay. That's how I knew anybody who's black and travels usually because they were military related. Like they were either vets or currently in the gotcha. military at the time. And I think it's safe to say, gotcha. like, maybe actually it's like, how about you yourself? Like, how many black people that you know that traveled abroad that wasn't military on a personal level? I think my situation is a little bit different yeah. because most of my network actually loves traveling. Yeah. They haven't necessarily been as many places maybe as some of my white counterparts. Yes. But a lot of us do actively travel. But because I enjoy traveling, I'm in yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, with people who travel. Yeah. Right. But I, I definitely agree with you, too. My parents were military. And I think there is that aspect of our life where there are a lot of people who got into traveling based on the military. So I understand yeah. what you're saying there. Yeah, so that's what led me to it, too. And in my last uh, senior year of college, I was trying to find a job and I found a listing on my university's job board about, you know, find, teaching English in South Korea. And that's what led me to come here. Mm. I've been here ever since. Gotcha. 
So we're going to talk about that for sure. So one thing, when you talk about people who don't travel a lot outside of the military, I'm not sure if you knew this particular statistic, Mm -hmm. but there's, according to data, 11% of Americans in general have never left their home state. Oh, yeah, I knew. That's Americans. That's not even including Black people. Yeah, you know, I know that's American in general. I just know the pictures are low. Yeah, and then when you look at the people who actually have passports, only 42% of Americans in general, right. roughly 42% have their passports. And just to put that in context, 76% of people in England have their passports and 66 or so percent of people in Canada have theirs. So we do, as a country, fall on the lower end of that. Yeah, that's true. Like, it is pretty amazing. Like, even people I know, that you go, it's crazy. Like, when when you grow up, people you go to high school or college with, some of them, they never leave the town, they never leave the city or state ever. Like, they just want to stay there forever. Mm-hmm. And even my cousin, like, yeah, she's a teacher, too. And I was telling her, man, listen, you're, you're a licensed teacher. Go teach at an international school, but she doesn't want to leave. Like, she wants to do mm-hmm. the whole house, married kids, house and dog, all that jazz, which is fine for her, of course. But you're right. It's like, there's so many people I know who's probably never left their state or their city, like, who just want to stay there. Like, and this is all over the country. I think another reason most Americans don't travel is because of our, of our unique geography. Because mm. if you think about it, like, obviously, if you want to go to the desert, go to Arizona, New Mexico. If you want to go skiing, Colorado. Yeah. And I can't think of other places, but you know what I'm saying. Or you want to go to the beach, Florida. If you want to go everywhere, yes. you go to California. Yes. I saw a thing the other day that said you can have every season yes. <laughs> just by going up the coast of California. Yes, exactly. And that's... I think that's another one of the reasons, obviously, and of course, cost, but I think one of the reasons, like most Americans, is like, why should I have to travel to another country to go to the beach? Why can't I just go drive down to Florida for like a week or so? Mm-hmm. And, you know, vice versa and other gotcha. places. So I, I can't say the incentive, though, of course, but at the same time, it's like, for me, I'm the type of person who likes to do things different. I'm always kind of like the abnormal type. Like, I don't follow traditional customs or norms mm-hmm. like most folks be doing. So, for me, at least, being an expat, I enjoy it a lot more than like if I would have been staying at home doing a rat race nine to five type of job. Gotcha. Now, did you travel a lot before? Like, were you always interested in traveling? And did you travel around the U.S. a lot? Mm-hmm. I did a few travel trips, but uh, I think it was like around six or seven. I went to Germany when my, at the time my dad was in the army. He was stationed there. But usually, I don't. Mm-hmm. I normally don't count that because obviously I was six years old, six seven years old, so I don't remember much about that. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I usually don't really count that as my official first time traveling. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. Now, I know you said that you got a job working mm-hmm. at a school in South Korea teaching English, but was there something that led to that? Like, was there something that you were like, I'm, I'm leaving the States. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. Was there a last straw or was it even planned? Of course, it was planned. Like, like I said, uh, I was in my last semester of college in 2015. Uh, it was fall semester. Mm-hmm. Trying to find a job, can find nothing. And of course, and I looked at my option thinking, okay, I looked at the idea about teaching English. So, and plus, I was wanting to travel because I used to like to watch those travel channels a lot too on TV. Mm-hmm. And that got me into traveling, seeing other places, not just in the US, but around the world too, of course, and also food. Gotcha. And it's just the idea of, again, there's something like nobody, I can't think of many people who's done that who can say, oh, I lived abroad before, at least for most Americans, at least. That wasn't military related, of course. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, this would be actually pretty fun. And also, of course, be a good way to try to pay out the student loans, too, which I have not done yet. So <laughs> I failed on that front. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's fun. funny because yeah. I heard a few. I don't know how true this is, but yes. I heard a few 
go abroad, you don't have to pay them off. But I don't know if that's true. I don't recommend it at all. No, no, that's true. You still got to pay. You still got to pay it off. You still got to pay it off. It's just like when you leave, it's like all the problems I had back in the U.S. is like, I ain't got to worry about that. Right. Well, I guess because the reason I say that, the reason I heard that was because you don't use credit in the same way abroad as you do here. Exactly. So if you like screw up your credit here, then you go over there. It's like, eh. It's like, like, what what is this going to do with this? Like 500 credit score. That's not going to help me over here in in Korea. What's that going to do? Yeah. 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 And again, just for the people, I don't recommend not paying your student loans and traveling abroad. I'm not saying I recommend that. I'm just saying it's something I heard. Yeah. you said you found the job in South Korea. What mm. was it that made you finally decide on South Korea? And were there other countries that you were considering? Uh, I saw, I looked into more like South Korea has always been like a popular ESL teaching destination. Of course, also followed mm-hmm. by Japan. And there was also China. So I looked at, I kind of, you know, kind of know pros and cons. But South Korea was a good start. Like one is usually more common spots. It's like, it's like the first time or like if you're interested about teaching English in South Korea, it's like it usually is a good place mm-hmm. to start. Okay. You make some decent money, but of course in China you make a lot more. I would make a lot more money, but I just don't want to live in China. I just can't see myself living there. Uh, Korea is, can gotcha. be bad at times too, but just I just can't feel comfortable in a country where if I can't really use Google or any other websites that's that's blocked in in uh, China. Right, I can see that. I, I can see how that would be challenging over there. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about your book. You're sure. releasing a new book called The Black Traveler's Guide to South Korea. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. And how does that differ from your first book? Well, let me start with the first book. What are the inspiration? And the inspiration came from like, cause as as we mentioned before, like the lack of resources, lack of options. Mm-hmm. And what led me to is like back in May 2020, I was actually at working. I was at my school one day and I was trying to think of ways and how I was listening to a webinar about how to turn like a side, your passion side project to like, to a side hustle. Right. And I was thinking, but what's something that hasn't been done yet that, that I know there's potential to make money, make a business of. Right. And mm-hmm. what I thought came up is, okay, what about black travel content? Like, of course that's, it's a niche mm-hmm. market, but it's definitely a huge demand mm-hmm. for that. Right. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that no one's done like a black travel guy for another country, like nobody's really done that before. So I thought, okay, why not give it a shot? So I focus on the first year of Incheon, South Korea, because Seoul and Busan, they're completely oversaturated. Like, everyone's done them. Like, so it wouldn't really help me stand out as much. So I figured, let me do this city first, Incheon, where I actually lived at the time, you know, as a test drive to see how it works. Right. And then, let's see, then we'll try another city like Daegu, where I actually used to live beforehand. Again, this is more like a test drive to see how the market will react if people are, are interested in this type of content. And so far, there has been interest for sure. So that's kind of kept me going okay. and it shows that, like, yeah, there's people there's a, for many black travelers, like even white travelers too. Like there's definitely demand for content like this, like, cause no one's done it already. So I figured let's keep it going. Okay. Gotcha. So in the last few years, there have been a number of articles and think mm-hmm. pieces and such on people being tired of their treatment in the United States and deciding yeah. to move abroad. Yep. Okay. Having moved abroad, do you find your experience to be vastly different from how you were treated here in the States? Oh, yeah, for sure. I actually wrote an article about this for a magazine, Black Asia magazine. When I left the United States, it's like basically I left. It's like coming home from the winter at the very heavy snowstorm. You take off that heavy jacket, you just relax and have to worry about using it for a long time. But then we go back out to the snowstorm or, or like when I go back to the U.S., it's like I got to put that jacket back on, put on the stress. The issues of what it's mm-hmm. like to be a black person, person of color in America. Mm-hmm. You live abroad, it's like 
I ain't got to worry about nothing. I could just be me. Like, I got to worry about the police. I got to worry about people being scared of me. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, don't get me wrong. Like any, yeah, like any country, like everything has its pros and cons, of course. But for me, I would say I'm much happier and more confident, more healthier than I've ever been while living in the U.S. I, um, I had an episode recently with a guest named Jay Kim, and we talked mm-hmm. about the model minority myth and the relationship between Blacks and Asians. One of the things that we talked about was how American culture drives perceptions on what people think folks here in the States are like. And as you know, Black people and people of color aren't always shown in the most positive light in our media. Do you find that people treat you a certain way based on stereotypes that they've seen in the media? It it doesn't sound like that, but have you experienced that at all? Uh, Oh, my students were regarded for me as a LeBron James teacher, some NBA teacher or hip hop star. Cause again, like you said, for most children in Korea, most people like, again, most Koreans, like the media, like that's the only reason way they ever seen or heard of a black person, unless they actually had like a black ESL teacher or were part of the military and had like of a train regiment with the where South Korean soldiers were trained with the U S army soldiers, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I would say it's more towards curiosity and lack of awareness because again, Unless you they live in a major city like Seoul, Daegu, Busan, like obviously most Koreans don't really interact with non-white people, like most foreigners, especially non-white foreigners too. And of course, okay. like in uh, was it 2018 when Black Panther came out? Almost I've been referred to as Wakanda teacher, Black Panther teacher since. <laughs> I mean, I get they kind of want to gotcha. try to connect with me, of course, but usually I use Pokemon instead to connect with the students. Gotcha. I uh, we're gonna have to talk about that a little after because sure. I actually I feel like I'm like the last person here that still plays Pokemon Go. Like I still yeah. play it and walk around and <laughs> feel like a dork with it. But oh yeah, no uh, true story. Actually, uh, when Pokemon Go was released in 2016, you couldn't play in South Korea because how he uses Google Maps for the game, and because mm-hmm. for those it's mostly because of the Korean government because of the whole because of the war between North and South Korea is still going on. And there was only, like, in summer 2016, there was a section, like, in the top right part of South Korea, there was this coastal town, and that was the only place we could play Pokemon Go at the time. And during that summer, summer 2016, thousands of people went to that town to play the game. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's people still play, of course. So do you play Pokemon Go? It was on and off. I got back into it last year. And also, I joined, uh, I guess, Pokemon Go expat group here in Korea. But uh, usually, okay. probably, I mostly play the main game, the main versions. Like, you know, I went for 3DS and now on the Switch. I actually went to the Pokemon tournaments here in Korea okay. and the Super Smash Bros. tournaments here as well, too. Wait, Pokemon tournaments? Yes. I didn't know that they had tournaments. I didn't know it was a thing. Oh, yeah, there are tournaments. Even in America, there are Pokemon tournaments. But I never went to those because they're too far away because America's so big. Like, obviously, some tournaments are just too far away to get to. Gotcha. Yeah. So it sounds like you found a bit of a tribe there. Mm-hmm. Do you have like a community of other expats or other black expats that you connect with? Mm, I met a few. One of my good friends, Brandon, who's a good man. We actually worked together in Daegu at the same uh, English academy, Hogwan. Uh, we're not there anymore, of course. And I think he's he's about to leave Korea soon because he's moving to Japan to be with his wife and son. So I'm going to miss that guy. But uh, there's actually another good brother I met, Adrian, who is in the same apartment complex area where I live. And uh, Uljian too. So it's easy to find a community here in Korea. It's just more like depending on what your hobby or activities are. Like me, I do Pokemon, I did Super Smash Brothers. That's what's, what's what I'm part of right here too, actually in Korea. Okay. So do that. And also 
And of course, you guys do recreational leagues. There's like I did Ultimate Frisbee here for a time. I did it a few times. I okay. had a lot of fun too with those. I hope to go to those back again once it's safe to do so, of course. Gotcha. It's funny. So in 2003, I went to Brazil um, through this program with the YMCA. And in this program, I actually had the opportunity to work with kids too in the in these daycare centers called creches. And it was really interesting because since a lot of them have never met U.S. citizens before, similar to what you were saying, in a lot of ways, I was the United States to them. Yep, same. And so they, it was kind of like I was the voice of the, the U.S. and I got asked a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask if that had been your experience as well. And do you find yourself being the voice of the U.S. people? Oh, for sure. And of course, some students try to refer to me as Africa. Like, he's from Africa? I'm like, no, I'm not from Africa, I'm from America. But no, actually, true story. <laughs> true story. Actually, last week, as you know, I think it was last or last Wednesday or so, Thursday, I welcome to the, hear the news that UK child was found guilty of all three counts of, you know, of the murder of George Floyd, right? And mm-hmm. it was in the morning, so of course I didn't really think about it until I had my lunch break. But during my lunch break, I actually almost broke down and cried because I'm thinking, oh my God, mm. this actually happened. Like, I didn't think it was going to get off. I think you're going to get off scot-free. And then, you know, as class was about to start, I was trying to keep my composure because class was about to start. And my fourth graders, they walked in mm-hmm. and they're asking me, and asked my Korean teacher, like, teacher, are you okay? Are you okay? And so I spent a little few minutes in class talking about what's why teacher was feeling a little sad. And my Korean coach, you know, translated for me. And thankfully, she knew she knew who George Floyd was. So she had so it made it a little bit easier mm-hmm. to understand what's going on. About, and I tried to explain to her how like black people in America usually get killed by police or treated really badly. <laughs> and literally, as soon as I done, a few minutes later, they all said, I'm sorry, teacher. I'm like, what are you sorry for? Aww. I'm like, OK, see, it's humanity. Yeah, I'm like, dude, you're gonna. I'm like, these kids are gonna make me cry in front of them. Oh, <laughs> I mean, well, let's talk about that for a minute. How is it seeing these ongoing cases of police brutality? Because I mean, even since mm-hmm. the trial started, I mean, there's been at least three things that I can think of that yes. have been mainstream news that involve police killing a person of color. How is that experiencing that abroad? Do you feel protected living yeah. away? Do you have any type of fear for your family that's here? How, how do you experience that? I'm not going to lie. Like last year in 2012, Priyanka George Floyd, like I wanted to do something. I wanted to be, I kind of, at the time, I kind of wish I was there in America to be at the protest and everything. But at the same time, mm-hmm. it's like, because I kind of felt, I felt at the time I was talking to some friends feeling about this and I kind of felt selfish because like I'm over here safe away from all the BS where everybody else is still dealing with that on a regular basis. But on my end, it's like, I ain't got to worry about the police. I just go about my day. Unless I did something wrong, I'm doing something illegal, then I got nothing to worry about, of course. Like, I can feel like I'll be a man. Like, I actually be a person. Like, I'm not just a black guy. I'm just Phil. That's it. Or my students call me pill teacher. How does it feel? I mean, this is going to be such an esoteric question, I'm sure, sure. but how does it feel to just be a person and not be a black person, but just be a person? How does that feel? It feels relief. It's like, this is such an amazing feeling. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, like, like anywhere, like living in different city, country, whatever. It has moments, BS moments, like anywhere in the world. But it's like, just to be a person, like I can go in, wake up, clock in, clock out, go home, do whatever, go wherever I want to. And not have to worry about my skin tone. I just worry about just being a person. Like, like it's, it's just such a relief to have that 
that burden, like not to worry about anything. And for me personally, I don't plan on moving back to the U.S. unless it's absolutely no choice. Like I have absolutely no choice to move back. I'm not going back there. Gotcha. Do you see yourself living in South Korea forever? Uh, probably not forever, of course. Just for another couple of years or until I get bored, I'm going to move on. It's funny, actually, true story. My sister, I think it was about a year or two, we, just, we were talking. And she was telling me one day that some of our family members were telling her or asking me if I'm ever going to move back to the U.S. And she told me that she said, hell no, he's not moving back here. <laughs> not ever. Nah. I'll come back and visit. But yeah, you can't, you can't convince me to move back. And also the fact that also another reason I can't seem to move back is also because of healthcare. Like just the fact that you have a taste of affordable mm. healthcare, like saying, oh, it's like, oh, I feel sick. I just go to the doctor and focus on getting better. Like, whereas if I was stuck in the U.S., it's like, I got to worry about, oh, God, oh, God, will my insurance cover, will my employer insurance cover, will my private insurance cover this? I don't, I don't have to worry about that. It's like, it's more of, I need to focus. I'm sick. Let me focus on getting better to get my prescription and go home and rest. That's all. That's it. Oh, wow. How is it from a cost perspective? At least in South Korea, obviously cost depends on where you go. You go to the you know, public hospital, private hospital or clinics, depending where you go, of course, and depending on your city too, as well. I would say wages between, I paid between like 10 to, oh my gosh, $60, $70. Yeah, at the time, I think it was in 2020, early 2020, I was dealing, I was under a lot of stress, so it affected me. And I was worried, like, I was having some headache issues. Mm-hmm head issues. So I went to the hospital, to the emergency center, get checked out. It was mostly stress-related, of course. And I got that, mm-hmm. I did a CAT CT scan, CAT scan, and also a prescription. All it cost me about was 70, we'll say about 60, 65 USD. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Or like, for example, like just when I was in uh, Manila, I was on vacation and I was on my lat and I bought some new pair of frames for like $20 and I bought and my last day of Manila, I went into go back to the airport. So I was walking around this shopping center and they had this dentist office. I thought, I haven't been to the dentist in years. I'm going to go check this out. Teeth cleaning and a checkup cost me about $40. Oh. And it was in Manila, yeah. You know, it's so interesting. My mom had some health challenges. And so for mm-hmm. the last few years, we've been dealing with that. And I mean, I think about how much it costs just to get the scans that she needed just to... <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine like... $70 like that's it's a great thing but it sounds insane yeah. because I know it was easily a yeah, hundred times that you know what I oh mean yeah, like it's, it's, it amazes me that even during this pandemic there are still people who will die it's you know die on the hill saying I would rather keep my employer-based insurance my private health insurance than be have like socialized medicare for all they don't want that social communist health care mm. Like it amazed me there's still Americans mm-hmm. who would rather die thinking that this is this way of healthcare is much better than the other countries. Like and it's amazing those same people too who will be on that same foothill. They'll also go to Mexico or Canada to pick up the prescription, depending on where to live, of course. And it's mm-hmm. like it's like you guys, you're the same type of conservatives who will who don't want to socialize healthcare, but you'll yeah, you'll gladly go down to Mexico to get checked up, go to the doctor's office. Yeah. So you don't think they're necessarily being honest with no. this because these are the same people who said they would they would allow their grandparents they'd sacrifice their grandparents yes. <laughs> so that the young people could have a chance. So. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was there. I saw the whole news when COVID broke out in America. I, in the back of my mind, I had a, I had a suspicion that she was going to blow up. And a lot of the cases were going to come from, like, you know, conservative areas. and. I was right. I hope I was, hope I was wrong. 
But it's just yeah, a level yeah. of anti-maskers. It's just what's killing me. It's, it's it boggles my mind seeing all these people like anti-maskers who are proud to not wear a mask, but yet then they're going on social media and ask for prayers and beg for help when they test test positive. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things that I found being in Brazil, Brazil is also a very collectivist culture as well. Mm -hmm. And their focus is on making sure that, from my experience there, Mm -hmm. everything was really focused on making sure that it was the best best opportunity for everybody. So if we wanted to go get something to eat, right? Mm -hmm. It was more so what is everybody want and how can the best possible outcome be for everybody versus well I want this and I don't eat that and I wasn't a lot of that it was more so like how can we mm-hmm. make sure everybody is good and that was such a different experience than being here where it's very individualistic and it's yes. very me my <laughs> yes. this is what I want and what I, I mean need. both so, sides have the pros and cons but I would say when it comes to like yeah. health Medicare Medicare and health emergencies like these like these times like yeah you got a job to me and me like put down on the back burner. We got to worry about this pandemic. Try to stay together. You know what I'm saying? But there's people who are just too prideful, yeah. who are just too selfish, who don't want to give up their, their quote unquote rights. Yeah. yeah like their rights of being yeah. a first upon. Like, yeah. So tell me, what's one myth that you would like to debunk as it relates to black expats living abroad? That was a good myth. I would say that, I mean, like I said, I, things get easier. I mean, don't get me wrong, some aspects things do get a little bit easier. Like, you just worry about being a person, but at the same time, you got to worry about how am I going to make money? Like, how am I going to live? Like, what, where can I work? How can I work? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And of course, visas. Visas are like the bit bane of everybody's existence, no matter where you are in the world. Like, making sure you're <laughs> staying on top of your visa expiration date, making sure you got your documents, everything you need, make sure hopefully immigration is going to work with you. Mm-hmm. And I would say that. Gotcha. I think one big myth is that people believe that America is the safest country in the world where and other places outside are is dangerous. And that's not always true, depending on where you go, of course. I, I felt safer in other countries than I did in the U.S. at any point in time. And is that as being a person of color? Oh, just being a person because in Because of the things that happen here? Yeah. Okay. Just a little bit, little bit of both. Like being a person of color, just being a person in general, like honestly. Yeah, usually I felt safer walking around. I got worried about nothing. Again, I'm like six, seven, two hundred centimeters tall, so obviously nobody's gonna mess with me. <laughs> yeah, so I'm pretty sure that's probably why. Obviously, um, obviously you're a woman, so you're gonna have a whole like totally different experience than I. I'll, that I'll never be able to understand, of course. But from mm-hmm. what I've been told, like most women, especially I talked to, like they said they felt safer here in Korea or other countries than they did back in the U.S. Gotcha. So tell me. When people think of the Black Traveler's Guide uh-huh. and that whole series, what do you want the lasting legacy to be? I just more, uh, I just want to help people, like especially Black people, like who are interested in travel, but are too scared to do so. Like I just want this book to show, like, hey, there's somebody who's actually lived here and experienced these things, and I show you, like, hey, like, now for my books, I don't sugarcoat things. Like I'm the type of person I rub you up front on this about if it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. So I want these guys, books to show to help people like to feel comfortable at ease, maybe just like as a stepping stone to like to look at different locations, and events that I may have never cover in the book originally. But maybe you could look at other places in the future, too. I just want this. Gotcha. It's, my belief is this. It's, if I could just have one person, like just have one, if I could help a single person and they found it useful, I call it a, a success personally. Gotcha. So when people think of Phil the Blurred Explorer. 
What do you want your lasting legacy to be? This tall, nerdy brother who helped a lot of black people be comfortable with traveling. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. So where can people reach you and how can they best support the work that you do? Um, well, you can always reach me on Instagram at The Blur Explorer. I'm pretty sure I should provide a link to my IG. Of course, both books will be available on Amazon, Google Playbooks, uh, Apple Books, Barnes & Nobles, and where all ebooks are sold. So you can always support there. You can always cash at me, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, just do that. Like, if you ever feel comfortable, you ever have any questions about travel or anything like that, just feel free to reach out to me. DM me on Instagram anytime you need to. And I'll try to help out as soon as I can. Gotcha. Well, Phil, thank you so much for joining me today. And most importantly, thank you for the important work that you do. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. And that's it, folks. If you want to keep up with Diversity Be Like, be sure to check us out online. You can like or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Diversity Be Like. You can also shoot us an email at podcast at mochastock.com. Also, feel free to join the conversation on your favorite social network using hashtag Diversity Be Like. And if you have any questions for Phil, the Blurred Explorer, please use hashtag Diversity Be Like. And I will make sure that I get those questions to him and we get you some answers. So until next week, 